Rockwell. Good morning, everyone. How are we doing? I'm going to ask this question a lot today. Why are you here? Why are you here? Scott asked it, uh, Reed asked it in a different form when he did their welcome this morning, but I think it's incumbent upon each of us to always examine why we are wherever we are. Um, it might be a good question to ask for many moments in your life. Why, why am I here? What am I doing here? But especially when we're gathered together as the church, the body of Christ, to examine what it is we're here for. Why are we here? If you're near, new to fullness, welcome. We're glad that you are here. And you're going to get a lot of who we are, what we believe about worship and uh, declaring the worthiness of God and what we believe church is all about uh, today. Um, when COVID hit three years ago now, uh, there was a, a stationary bike company named Peloton that um, went crazy. Uh, honestly, their sales um, went from uh, about $900 million, which is not too bad, I don't think. Uh, within two years, they sold $4 billion in bike sales, revenue, monthly subscriptions. So from 19 through the end of 21 into 22, their sales went from $900 million to $4 billion. Over the past two years, it's dropped probably 50%. Uh, and is, it's in free fall. If you have Peloton stock, I'm so sorry. Uh, if you invested at the beginning of 19 and sold at the 20, if you have any stock, I'm really sorry. Uh, things are not looking great right now. But one of the things it teaches us is about the whole idea of discipline. Uh, discipline is hard, is it not? Discipline is challenging. Um, there seem to be two camps within the church in general. One is that um, discipline is all we have. That um, God saved us, but now all we've got now is to just work it. Just do the best we can until we die or Jesus comes back. To work really hard. The other camp in many churches is this. Look, it doesn't matter what I do. It's all by God's grace. You know, it's all about grace. God's going to forgive me. I don't have to ask for forgiveness. I don't have to do this. It's just God's grace. He's, his grace is sufficient. His grace, his mercy are new. Both points are true, is what I want to say. There is a tension between the grace of God and our participation in the grace of God that has to do with the word discipline. We have these words, spiritual disciplines. Oh, by the way, is disciple not at the beginning of discipline? Spell it out. Some of you are like, what? Uh, if you look at the word, it's, it's right there, disciple and discipline. But we don't, we're not good, honestly, at discipline. Doctors will tell you that um, if a person has a life-threatening event in their life, like a heart attack or bypass surgery or whatever the case may be, that within two years, 80% of those who have life-threatening illnesses will return to the behavior that they were doing before the life-threatening event that caused them to be in the life-threatening event. Fear of death, even, doesn't change us forever. 
Discipline is really challenging in our, in our lives. Now, you may be saying, what does this have to do with spiritual gifts? Uh, I think it has a lot to do with the way we examine and walk in our giftedness. God is the giver of the gift. But at some point, we as individuals and we as a corporate body have to open the gift. We have to hone the gift. We have to examine the gift. We have to walk in the gift. And part of that has to do with being a disciple, a follower, walking in discipline. I just want to make sure that you understand, Paul wrote this verse, I didn't, where he talks about running, and it's kind of a joke around here because I talk about running a lot, but he says this, everyone who competes in the game goes into what? Strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Paul is... He's making it clear there's an aspect of strict training that we all need to be engaged in. We can't just ignore the discipline aspect of spiritual disciplines and so lean into the grace of God that we presume upon God that he's going to take care of everything. He will take care of everything, but our participation with him is clear. It was he who gave some to be prophets, uh, apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for what? Hello? Say it again. Yeah, he's preparing us for works of service, something we get to join in so that the body of Christ, the church, may be built up. Sorry, I've got a cough. I'm trying not to do it in the mic, but I might before this is over, so forgive me. To be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Have we got there yet? No. The answer is no. We have not, as a church, as a people, attained to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. We're still on this journey. So what we've been learning over these past 13, 14 weeks is that we need all the gifts of the Spirit engaged in this so that we all become mature. So the spiritual gift and the individual, that's you, that's the start um, of where I want to be this morning. Then we're going to talk about spiritual gifts in the corporate body, uh, in corporate worship. But first I want to encourage I want to encourage you. I think the first topical series I did as pastor of fullness was on spiritual gifts. Way back when, and I think it was around 94. A long time ago. Because back in that time, honestly, in the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s, uh, I, I, I was not hearing a lot about spiritual gifts. Now we have spiritual gifts seminars and spiritual gift things all over. Uh, other, people have realized how important it is, but it seemed like at the time, at least in my little world, the spiritual gifts were not being greatly emphasized. And so I started teaching on spiritual gifts, and I taught passionately and 
as well as I could at the time, which wasn't that great, honest, 30 years ago. Thank you for those who were here during that time and still stayed. Uh, but I came away with this feeling like the teaching was so uh, inadequate, incomplete. In other words, I, when we emphasize spiritual gifts, let's say we emphasize the gift of hospitality. That it's a, it's a major, it's a gift, right? Hospitality, it's one of the spiritual gifts. Somebody's been given the gift of hospitality. So we would do a test to help someone discover if they had the gift of hospitality. And then it seemed like we put everybody in the same service track for hospitality. If you had the gift of hospitality, here's your lane. Go in this lane. Well, it just seemed bad to me over time, what if someone who has a gift of hospitality, they don't have a home to be hospitable with? Should they be put in the same lane? What if someone had some other possibility for hospitality? Should they be put in the same? In other words, there seem to be other factors at work other than just the gift. Are you with me? in the individual. And so when we talked about spiritual gifts, what we wanted to do, I wanted to do at some point was there's got to be other things. There's like people's personalities that has to be engaged. They've, everybody's got a different experience in life. And years later, I finally came across, I didn't create this, I wish I had, but someone else, Rick Warren, in fact, came across, uh, I came across this acrostic that he did that I was like, yes, that's what we've been talking about or trying to figure out how to articulate. So he talks about spiritual gifts like we've been doing that are given for the purpose of serving others for building up the body of Christ. H, heart motivations that influence the choices we make and the feelings we have. We all have different motivating factors in our life. Our hearts are different because we have different abilities that empower us and our service and affirm our choice of ministry areas. Different people have different skill sets. In other words, someone could be prophetic in their gifting, but maybe they're musical. Maybe they have a music talent and other people don't. So you don't want to put everybody in that same abilities matter, right? We've tried not to be people who are unmusical on the worship team. You're welcome. Uh, <laughs> we're trying to help. Uh, personalities that lend themselves to diverse opportunities. Everyone here has a different personality type. You know, I have people at times say, hey, where are you on this certain scale and this certain thing and this um, personality type? And I always forget where I am. I can never remember. And so I usually say, where do you think I am? Uh, because that's the best I can do on personality types. I know I have a personality. I'm just not sure about all the ramifications with it. Um, and you have one too. You have a personality type. <clears throat> Experiences. You know, I was raised in a, a godly home. You may have... playing Sila on Apple Music. Uh, okay, but I don't really want to hear it now. <laughs> I don't know how to get it off. There we go. Different experiences. 
all of this, let me go back to it, because I want you to notice it, it talks about our shape. What is the shape that God has made you? And, in fact, how do you get into shape, in your shape? How do we discipline our bodies so that we work with God, releasing God's power and presence in order to happen? The verses we've looked at, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 14 says, I'm going to come back to this one. Let me just summarize this idea for you. Getting in shape sucks. I mean, let's just be honest. When it comes to anything that has to do with discipline, we don't want it. We don't, I mean, we do. We want the end result. But we'd much rather have the magic pill than the discipline that it takes to get where we're going to go. You know, this uh, whole, uh, it's been fascinating to watch. You've heard of Ozempic? Have you all heard of this pill? This magic pill that will help you lose weight? Um, it's, it's a magic pill. The thing it won't help you do is actually get in shape. There's a difference between losing weight and getting in shape, right? Are you with me? <laughs> Here's my contention with the church. The church many times is like, it has this little bunny foo-foo mentality or theology. Do you know the song, that stupid song, Little Bunny Foo-Foo? Hopping through the forest, picking up the field mice, and what? Bopping them on the head. That's what we want. We want somebody to bop us on the head and everything be fixed. Isn't that easier than actually working out the difficulties of my life in order to get in shape? It's the danger of deliverance ministry when left in and of itself without any other surroundings. Deliverance ministry is wonderful, helping people get set free. But most people didn't arrive in that room from a vacuum. They didn't just get there. They have life experience. They have habits that have been formed. They've had things in their lives that they need to get free from. In other words, we all need to get in shape. Spiritual gifts is a part of that. Heart motivations, our abilities, our personalities, our experiences, all working together individually for God to help us discover who we are. And that's what we've wanted through this series on spiritual gifts. But there's also what happens when we come together. And this is what I want to focus on for the remainder of our time, spiritual gifts and the corporate gathering. What happens when all of us do get in shape? And we come together as the body of Christ to worship together. How do these spiritual gifts function? Now, let me just say this again. If you just wandered into fullness, this is your first time here again, welcome. You come in at the end of a 13-week sermon series on gifts, where we've looked at gifts from Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. So I can't go back and fill in everything that we've done to get to this point, but hopefully you're still following with me. And hopefully at some point, God will use something I said to help, to help bless you. But here how spiritual gifts operate in the corporate gathering. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13 and 14, 
please remember, Paul is talking to a church who has gotten way out of whack with their understanding of spiritual gifts. They're way out of whack about everything. They're way out of whack with allowing sin. They've, um, they're, they're, the, the Lord's Supper, um, spiritual gifts, and public worship. They've got a lot of problems that Paul is trying to bring into order. So in 1 Corinthians 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. We're going to look at this in a second. Then 13, he talks about everything's got to be done in the context of love, whether it's the Lord's Supper or spiritual gifts or whatever. And then in 14, he's going to give some specific instructions about spiritual gifts in public worship, particularly the gift of tongues and prophecy. Because what Paul does is he takes what the Corinthian church is saying is their favorite gift, tongues, and he's comparing it to his favorite gift, prophecy. He's saying they're both important, but for public worship, here's why prophecy trumps, excuse me, trumps, uh, I should show his picture from this week, uh, trumps, uh, trumps uh, uh, over tongues. Okay, sorry, got distracted. <clears throat> Here's the point. But when some unbelievers or ordinary people come in to what? Church, the public gathering. They will be convinced of their sin by what they hear. They will be judged by all they hear. Their secret thoughts will be brought into the open and they will bow down in worship confessing, truly God is here among you. <clears throat> This passage is key for us as a church. This is the key to almost everything we do, is, is our desire that when anyone comes into fullness, they sense the presence of God. Because it's in God's presence that people's lives are changed forever. Uh, what do we have to offer people if not God is here among us? My words aren't going to convince people to follow Christ. My words are not going to convince people to change their lives. What's going to convince people, convict people, lead people, inspire people is the presence of God. So we desire that our worship be incarnational worship. By incarnational meaning that God's presence is among us. And as a result, we look at three different areas that we do on a consistent basis over the life of our church. One is celebration. We want to celebrate what God has done, is doing, will do in our lives. So in Psalms, it says, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in holy array. We want to worship God. We want to celebrate his works in our lives. It says in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord when? All times, here and out there, here and in my home, in my home and in my workplace, in my workplace, in the school. We want to bless the Lord at all times. We're celebrating what he's done in us and through us. And at some point, we want to say, I was glad when they said unto me, let's go to fullness on Sunday morning. Let's go to church. I want to celebrate. I want to, I want to celebrate what God has done in our lives. So that's part of what we do. We celebrate. We worship. We sing. We clap. We lift our hands. We pray. 
we celebrate. Then we want to minister within the body of Christ. We want to have a ministry time. You'll notice that at fullness, almost every single week, we at some point take time to pray for people. Because we all come in here broken vessels. We all come in here hurting in some way. We all come in here with a specific need of direction for our lives. We need a lifting of a burden. We need uh, freedom from stuff. We need wisdom about the future. We need to, and the body of Christ ministers to itself. It helps each other. And then we also do, hopefully, every Sunday you'll notice we don't do just topical sermons. We try to do biblical teaching. What does the Bible say about this? Because we are a church that fully embraces the Word of God and the Spirit of God. 100% of both. Again, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And I think those fivefold ministry offices that he's talking about, he's talking about teaching what God says about different things so that we can, be, we can be built up. Which leads me again to the question, why are you here? Individually, you're here, right? Getting in shape trying to discover, get freedom, find discovery about what God wants you to do. But at the same time, we are here corporately, worshiping together, celebrating together, ministering to one another, receiving God's word on a consistent basis. Some way, spiritual gifts matter in the corporate they matter not only in you individually, but they matter to us corporately. How we interact with one another. Paul, again, back in 1 Corinthians 12, starting it all, all off, he tells them, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. Why does he not want them to be ignorant? Because through spiritual gifts, the body of Christ is built up. Through spiritual gifts, you discover your shape. Through spiritual gifts unbelievers declare God is in your midst. All of it, We don't want to be ignorant about it because it matters to me personally, it matters to us corporately, and it matters to evangelism in the world. In the context of spiritual gifts, we're to follow the way of love, 1 Corinthians 14, 1, after that great passage on 13, follow the way of love and eagerly desire spiritual gifts especially the gift of prophecy. Again, what Paul is doing here is comparing prophecy to tongues. I've spoken on this before, but I know some of you are, are new today. But in the context, he's not dismissing tongues. He's just not elevating it to the place the Corinthian church is. The Corinthian church has basically said this utterance, this language, this ecstatic utterance, which he doesn't even use that term, but this tongues, they believe that it's the tongues of angels. It's the language of angels. And at some point, the inference is, if you speak in tongues, you're more spiritual because you're talking angel language. And so Paul wants to make it clear, hey, tongues is great. I speak in tongues more than all of you. I wish you all spoke in tongues. 
but I'd rather that you prophesied. Why? Because, as he's going to say, tongues are really between you and God. It's spoken to God. It's not spoken to the others around. An uninterpreted tongue is spoken to God about the mysteries of God for the purpose of building up the one who is speaking. Is this, is this good? Is that a good thing? I, I think Paul's saying it is a good thing. Speaking in a tongue is a good thing. Why? Because if the individual is built up, then the body is stronger. Years ago, I was helping Kathy move. We were, we were engaged, but um, she was moving from one apartment to another, and so you know, I had a lot of experience in moving. I, I'm not joking. I really did. That's what I did every summer to work my way through college. So uh, I, I went to help her move from one apartment to another. And she had one of those um, armoires, armoires, with uh, double doors, you know, that, that kind of swang open. And in the moving business, in case you didn't know, you should always tie those two doors together. Never move that thing without tying the handle up or doing something. I thought I could get it real quick. I was, I was in a hurry, which I've been known to be impatient, which I've also been known to be. And so I, I, I tip it back and the door swings open on the bottom. And it cuts my little finger almost to the bone. You know how it gets caught in that little crease, you know? Um, so, again, we're engaged. We're not married. I'm still trying to act like a godly man. Um, <laughs> after you get married, it kind of kind of going down the road a little bit. But at this point, we're engaged. You know, <laughs> everything's not given. But, my, I mean, I nearly passed out. It was that kind of, kind of thing. But I did keep my flesh in check. Anyway... It was just my little finger, but it, it, it hurt. Do you know that, that night, that night, my entire body stayed up to keep my little finger company. <laughs> the whole night, the, the, the entire night, it stayed up just for my little finger. Do you think my little finger matters? Well, to my body it did. Within the body of Christ, every, every individual matters. Because it has to do with us. It's not just, oh, that's their problem. No, that's our problem. That is our issue. That's what we need. So tongues helps build up the individual, which in turn builds us all up. It makes the whole body stronger together. But in a corporate setting, Paul says prophecy works a little advantage because it's spoken to men to each other about the will of God in order to build up and encourage and comfort those hearing. There's a corporate, there's a we aspect to the gift of prophecy. Now, tongues, when interpreted, has a corporate aspect. That's why Paul says, hey, if anybody speaks in tongues in a public worship where there's unbelievers present, we need to interpret. Goes on and says, Tongues, then, are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. This is a complicated passage, I know. 
Um, what is that sign? So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues, uninterpreted, and some who do not understand or some unbeliever comes in, will they not say you're out of your mind? Is that what we want? Do we want people who don't know Christ to come in and say, those people are really happy, but they are cray-cray. <laughs> They're out of their minds. No, that's not our goal in this. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, again, I, I know Paul is talking about tongues versus prophecy in this passage, but I think it's important to answer the question, why are you here? What are you doing here? Are you here because you felt guilty about not being here? You know, I got to go to church. You know, I, when I went to God, when, I joined, when, when Jesus saved me, somewhere in there said I had to go to church. So I got to go to church. I got to be a part of church. So we go to church. There's got to be more to coming to church than you feel guilty about not being here. There's got to be more to church than social interaction. There's got to be more to why you're here with each other at this moment. So I'm going to try to answer the question slightly in the time we have left. The first thing is this. Corporate worship is to be intentional. There is a reason the body of Christ gathers. Now, worship is a topic that's passionate for me. Uh, as many of you know, most of my degrees are in music. I was a worship leader before I was ever a pastor. Uh, I've taught classes um, on worship and music. And so I'm going to try and make this brief. Uh, so hang on with me. But I think it is important for you to understand what, wh why is worship so important. Here's, I'm going to answer your question. Thanks for asking. Worship is important because you become like the thing you worship. Whatever it is you're worshiping today, you're becoming like that. So if you worship money, guess what? Money's going to take a hold of your heart. Greed's going to take a hold of your heart. If you worship culture, you're going to become like the culture. If you worship work, you're going to become like your work. You become, if you worship sports, that's going to be the passion of your heart. You become like the thing you worship. Our worship is to be intentional, directed to God. We want to become godly. We want to become God, not God-like, but we want to, we want to become Christ-like. And so we worship him. Harold Best, uh, an author of a book on worship, says that worship is acknowledging that someone or something else is greater or worth more. And by consequence, by that means, he means a lot, to be obeyed, feared, and adored. Worship is the sign that in giving myself completely to someone or something, I want to be mastered by it. I want to be mastered by God. 
one of the problems we have with worship is that it's me-centric in the church today. If you, and I, I, I'm not throwing stones anywhere, so please don't hear me do that. I'm trying not to. But if you want to really attract people, then make worship me-centric. Make it about them. Make it about, give them what they want. Give them, give them the show. Give them something that'll, they'll go out and say, wow, I'm so blessed. No, if you want worship to be real worship, and I am convinced that it's hard to build a big church on this philosophy, take it off of you and put it on him. Make it God-directed, all about him. And you know what happens? Sometimes people get really uncomfortable with that. Or they start talking like this. You'll hear phrases. And I, again, I'm trying to be, I, 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 no bitterness here. I really want all of us, and I'm talking to me as much. You'll hear phrases, you know, that just isn't meeting my need. That isn't really doing it for me. I need to find a place that does it for me, where it becomes me-centric. You know, when we talk about idolatry, many times we talk about an idol that's out there, like money or education, or, but sometimes the idol is in here. It's me. I'm the idol of my worship. It's all directed toward me. Because the psalm says, those who... Make them, make them, idols, become like them. So do all who trust in them. Listen, my eighth grade algebra teacher said, Mr. Mancini, I quote him all the time, you are a perfect whatever you are. No, you're not. That's that Buddhist Hindu idea of however God has formed you and made you, you're perfect like that. No, God came to change us. And the intentionality of worship is this. We want to look upward so that we can be changed inward. He will change us. A couple more definitions that I love. Warren Wiersbe says, worship is the believer's response, meaning what? What, is the what does the word response mean? It means it doesn't originate with you. You are responding. God reveals himself, you respond. All that they are, mind, emotions, and body to what God says and does. My, um, my, my teacher on worship was Dr. Bruce Leaflad. Here is his definition, which I've always loved. He says, worship is communion with God in which believers, that's us, by grace, don't ever lose the grace part, Center their mind's attention and heart's affection on the Lord, humbly glorifying him in response to his greatness and his word. That's what we try to do here on Sunday morning. We want it to be intentional because tongues are great, but he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, inward focused, but he who prophesies edifies the church. The body of Christ. Okay, so I put this diagram together, and I'm going to go through it quickly, but I think you'll understand it. When it's, 
here's worship. God reveals himself to you, and you respond back to God. Right? That's me. I'm, God's revealing himself, and I'm responding back to him. And then there's you. God's revealing to you, and responding. you're responding back to him. But then, here's where everything changes in my mind. When two or three are gathered, when the people gather, when you and me and us are gathered together, it's not just me and God or you and God. It's me and you and God. There is a horizontal aspect that differs in corporate worship than anything about me worshiping by myself at home. When it's just me and God at home, and he's revealing himself, I can respond however I want to. It doesn't matter. It's just me and God, right? Or with you and God, you can respond however you want to. But when the body of Christ gathers together, now we're reminding each other of the goodness of God. We're edifying one another. We're building up the body with each other. And we're representing God to whoever comes in. So that people will say, surely God is in your midst. Well, you may be saying, Pastor Bart, that you're really going on about this. Um, well, why is this such a big deal? It's such a big deal because I've been in church services before where people felt like it was only, they could do whatever they wanted that where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And therefore, they were free to hear God's revelation and respond to him however they wanted in the corporate gathering. That I asked God how he wanted to be worshipped today, and he said that I could dance like David danced. Well, at times, you're going to think I'm terrible. I'm so sorry. But... You know what? If God told you to dance, maybe he shouldn't put you in a, such a low-cut dress that morning. Hello? Hello, you're not listening to me. You know, if you're going to dance across the front of the church, maybe what you're wearing might have mattered that day. Things we've honestly dealt with. That was not edifying at the moment. Some of you are not laughing. You're like getting cringed up, I think, about my discussion about this. Corp Worship is a corporate thing that matters. It needs to be intentional. How we represent, how we edify, how we build one another up. You may say, Pastor Bart, what did you do in that moment? I sent a woman to go tell her to stop. <laughs> Honestly, you think I'm kidding you're not, okay, we're moving on. You're not having near as much fun in this. So it is with you. Since you're eager to have spiritual gifts, try to excel in what gifts? The ones that build up the body. The ones that edify the church. Because those that prophesy speak to men for their strengthening, their edification, their encouragement. And their comfort. All those things I put on that, that last line of the diagram. Because we want unbelievers to say, God is really, he's there. He is among you.
Second point on this is, you're like, Pesford, how many points do you have today? A lot. Um, this is the second point of the third point, I think. Um, but <laughs> corporate worship is intelligible. There's got to be an understanding. Paul's the whole idea here is that the thing about tongues is they're unintelligible unless interpreted. Prophecy has some sort of intelligibility, understanding that makes it corporate. So it is with you, unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You, you'll just be speaking into, speaking into the air. He goes on and makes it clear that he speaks in tongues, but he wants the worship to be intelligible. Intelligible. This past week was my brother's birthday. It was on Monday. I was talking to him on the phone. <clears throat> His phone kept cutting in and out. You know how you do? You get a bad connect with someone. So I just hung up. <laughs> I'm like, why bother? Why bother to listen? Okay, it was his birthday, and maybe I should have been a little more patient. But unintelligibility is ridiculous. To ha I mean, there's got to be some sort of... I mean, I called him back. Don't get too offended. I did call him back. But you, to be understood, it'll be like a trumpet that makes no clear sound of a call into battle. It'll be like an instrument that's totally out of tune and is not playing a melody. It, it's... It, that is not what worship is to be about. There's to be an understanding. That's the difference between corporate and private worship. Corporate has to have some sort of intelligibility. Now, here's the problem that many churches have, have, have gone to. They've, they've replaced intelligible with the idea it has to be intellectual. They've, they've, they substituted the presence of God and the intelligibility of worship with meaning it's got to be the smartest, intellectual, and they've lost the heart of worship. Worship is about the presence and power of the Spirit of God moving among us where God reveals himself. We respond to him, but we do it in a way that's understandable between the parties involved because in the end, corporate worship is to be inspirational. Now, again, this term means many different things. By inspirational, I mean... Do you know the word inspire? I'm going to come back to that. The word inspire means in, inside, into, in to breathe, to breathe in. Do you know, in, in medical terms, when they talk about inspiration, they talk about breathing in, and expiration is breathing out. And when I say inspirational, I don't mean, yay, good job, God, kind of thing. I mean, we're to breathe in the presence of God that is among us. The words in the Bible that talk about the Spirit of God actually have to do with breath or wind as well as spirit. Have you seen the new ad for this thing for sleep apnea? Um, it's, it's, not, um, it's not the CPAP machine. It's kind of a, a thing that's surgically implanted. You know what it's called? Inspire. 
inspire. Why? Not because they want you to be so happy that you can sleep, which I would be if I could sleep and didn't have to wake up all the time, but it has to do with breath, breathing in what God has for you. We want worship to be inspirational in that surely God is here among us. I've had a number of people, we do this thing called dinner at the Brookings, which is for people who are new to fullness. And we'll say, what brought you to fullness? To a lot of people. I met so-and-so, not my neighbor. I'm driving by, I saw a banner, blah, blah, blah. I saw this, I saw that. And then, well, what brought you back? You know what? I just, when I walked in, I sensed the presence of God. And in my heart, I'm like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. May that be true every single week, every single moment when the body of Christ here gathers together, that surely God is really among you. Spiritual gifts in you will help strengthen you. It will help you discover why God has made you. Why are you here? What is your shape? How do I participate with God by being disciplined in my life. Spiritual gifts among us will edify, build up the body of Christ, will encourage one another, will help people be set free, and will help us all to love being in the presence of God where we breathe in his glory so that when we go from this place, we go in a way that says to the world, we are his representative. We're representing him. We're his ambassadors to the world. Oh, that's why you're here. When you ask the question, why are you here? My prayer is this. I am here to respond to God. To hear from God. To encourage the body of Christ. To use my spiritual gift to help strengthen, to help reveal to help build up, because that's who I am. I am a faith-filled follower of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you this morning for who you are and what you're doing in our lives. We thank you that, God, you are, um, you, are, you, Lord Jesus, are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, this morning, we want to, we want to be fully devoted followers of yours who walk in your might and your power and your, your presence. Holy Spirit, move among us. Thank you for your presence here. Thank you for this church. Stand up with me if you would. Here's what I sense we should do in this moment. Thank you for your patience. I pray that God has blessed you through what's been spoken, that God has done something, stirred something up within you right now. But here's what I'd like us to do before we depart this morning. I, I would like for us to just focus our minds 
attention on him, to sing the gospel back to him, to adore him, to just, by doing it together, there's something powerful about us. You may not even be a singer. Maybe you think I'm a horrible singer. Who cares? This is about you lifting your eyes, your voices, your hands up to him to say, God, you are a great God. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. You are the king of kings. Be king in my life. Be king among us. Right now, as we sing your word back to you, I think that when you do that, something breaks in you. Something hard, the hard places break off as you acknowledge his lordship and his life within you. Spirit of God, just move among us. After we sing this song before, I'm going to dismiss us after we worship. And then I'm going to have some ministry teams to pray for you if you need ministry today for healing or direction. But before we get to any of that, let's lift him up.
recognize that we live in a broken world. Uh, we'll start by looking at an unusual book next week, um, the book of Lamentations, which is in the Old Testament, and then we'll look at the books of First and Second Timothy. But if you want to read the five chapters in the book of Lamentations, um, I would encourage you to do it. Start reading it this week, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up a, a study of that book and some others in the in the days ahead. If you need prayer before you leave, there are going to be some ministry teams down to my right, some down to my left. I'm going to dismiss everyone, but if you need prayer for healing or direction or lifting of a burden, come to one of these ministry teams and they'll pray for you before, before you leave this morning. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or even imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. God bless you. I love you. Have a great day. Lord.